Hello and welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl. And I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein. Rick, we're coming to you uh, Monday of this Thanksgiving week, recording this. Uh, so much to talk about, but I, I, I want to I kind of take a little walk down memory lane, if you don't mind. Uh, I want to play a little bit of sound here just to kind of set things up. Uh, from the summer, which seems like so long ago, uh, but this is back in uh, in July. It's a it's a piece of tape that was unearthed recently by a, um, a, a Twitter account called Bad COVID nineteen Takes. You know, whatever. But it's of um, Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz uh, speaking about uh, the COVID nineteen pandemic. Just want Trevor. I think has the sound there in our control room. Uh, let's play it, and then I I, I want to kind of get your take on this, Rick. If it ends up that Biden wins in November, I hope he doesn't. I don't think he will. But if he does, I guarantee you the week after the election, suddenly all those Democratic governors, all those Democratic mayors will say, everything's magically better. Go back to work. Go back to school. Suddenly the problems are solved. You won't even have to wait for Biden to be sworn in. All they'll need is Election Day. And suddenly their willingness to just destroy people's lives and livelihoods, they will have accomplished their task. That's wrong. It's cynical. And, 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 and we shouldn't be a part of it. <laughs> okay. So, Rick, you know, occasionally I like to bring up some of your predictions, you know. Yeah. Yeah. From, from the past. Make, yeah. You know, yeah. just on, on this podcast. Just, just for the purposes of kind of uh, lessons learned, you know, looking through. So here's Ted Cruz from this summer predicting that if Biden wins, suddenly all the Democrats are going to say, everything's fine. There's no problem with COVID-19. Reopen everything. You know, go to, forget all those guidelines. It's it's all fine. I mean, come on, man. That was a Joe come Namath on. level. That was a Joe Namath level guarantee, except um, <laughs> I, he got blown out at the at, at the end of it. I mean, yeah, cynical, wrong, all of those things. It didn't happen. And here we are, what, three weeks after the election. And uh, COVID-19 is raging. It is it, worse than ever in many jurisdictions. We've got Thanksgiving and possibly Christmas impacted in, in, a, in a very major way. And by the way, uh, Republicans, including Ted Cruz, refusing to acknowledge the fact that Joe Biden, it is a fact that Joe Biden won the election. How's that for a guarantee? So, so, so a guy like Ted Cruz, who I'm sure when he wakes up in the morning and looks in the mirror, he sees a president, right? I mean, there's no, no, no question there. Yeah. How do you live with something like this? He, he went out and he told people essentially that COVID-19 is a myth. I mean, that's what he's saying there. He's saying that, 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 that it's a hoax because it's just an election strategy that as soon as the election is over, all those people warning us of the dangers of this pandemic will suddenly say everything is fine. Um, now, obviously, that hasn't happened, and, and it's the behavior of you know people like Ted Cruz minimizing this that has frankly contributed uh, to a belief in among many people in this country that they don't need to take precautions then it's not a serious thing. The hell with masks. I mean, I, I, just, I just don't know how you're taken seriously after, after being so mortally wrong about such a big thing. Let alone, I mean, you just you alluded to the other thing and being wrong about the election. But, but I mean, how, do you, how, how, are, how are we, as co-hosts of Powerhouse Politics, 
how are we ever to take them seriously again? Well, I, John, I would posit that we're not the target audience, uh, and that's part of the okay. problem. That's part of the problem. That you have Republicans, including Senator Cruz, who are playing to a segment of the population, a segment of the country that is a large one that's inclined to believe uh, really whatever President Trump will say to be the case, uh, inclined to you know vastly mistrust authority when it comes to uh, issues of public health and public safety. Uh, which is problematic in, in its own right, and are increasingly just going to silo their information sources. I mean, this is the same Ted Cruz that, you know, that that had real indignation when he was attacked by President Trump. He called President Trump as a candidate a congenital liar. Uh, we know what he said about his wife. We know what he said about his dad. And still, Ted Cruz is on the Trump train. And now, three weeks after a very decisive victory by Joe Biden, um, still maintaining that the, the president. Uh, it has a right to, to pursue this and, and may actually win the election, leaving, leaving that fiction out there. And it is a fiction. And it is, I think, a fiction with a very real purpose for many Republicans right now. I think it defines the Republican Party at the moment. Will it last? I, you know, how long will Republicans be in the thrall of a president who just lost his reelection race? Uh, will they continue to listen to you know, increasingly uh, conspiratorial and even cockamamie crazy uh, legal theories from that team? I don't know. I don't know how long it lasts, but that is, that is a snapshot of where we are. And I think this episode with Senator Cruz encapsulates it pretty well. I mean, we're now at the point where Biden's uh, victory in terms of the overall vote is 6 million votes. He, he beat Donald Trump by 6 million votes, which, by the way, means that Donald Trump lost by a considerably larger margin than Mitt Romney lost. And in Trump's eyes, Mitt Romney's the ultimate loser, as he always says, because of the way he lost in 2012. Well, Trump has far outdone him, uh, but also manages to not just lose, but to, uh, but to go out as a sore loser. Now... The Trump legal team has had a little bit of upheaval here because you had the, 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 that wonderful press conference with the hair dye and all that at RNC headquarters uh, where Sidney Powell, who was introduced as a member of the legal team with Rudy Giuliani, um, you know, she, she outlined this, this conspiracy theory, which somehow ended up starting with Hugo Chavez, and then went on television, Newsmax, which is still not, rec not, not, not called the election. Um, Newsmax, having its moment, she raises the question of whether or not Brian Kemp, the governor of Georgia, and uh, Brad Raffensperger, the secretary of state of Georgia, have been paid off by the dastardly folks behind this conspiracy theory. So that was even a little bit too much. And now Rudy Giuliani has put out a statement saying that Sidney Powell is not a member of the legal team, even though he was just at a press conference where he introduced her as a member of the, of, of, of the legal team. But, but, but this is a conspiracy theory so wild and so crazy that we thought that for this edition of Powerhouse Politics that it would be worth talking to somebody who is somewhat of an expert on conspiracy theories and also happens to be a Republican member of Congress. So... That's who, that's who we're going to talk to. But before we get to that, Rick, I, I want to you – know, Republicans are having a hard time trying to figure out what to say. They all know, essentially all of them, know that this is done, that this wild talk of vast conspiracies is, is simply crazy talk. Uh, but they're not coming out and saying it. They're trying to give the president time. We're going to give him some time. We're going to give him some time, pursue his legal challenges, et cetera, et cetera. I, I want to show you 
uh, and I know you caught this, Rick, over the weekend, but I want to play for our listeners the way you do it. This is the way a Republican who, is as clo- who has been as close to Donald Trump as any Republican over the past four years, this is how a Republican should be answering the very simple question about where the election stands. Here you go. Is it finally time for this to end? Yes. And, and here's the reason why. The president has had an opportunity to access the courts. And I said to you, you know, George, starting at 2.30 a.m. on Wednesday morning, if you've got the evidence of fraud presented. And what's happened here is, quite frankly, the conduct of the president's legal team has been a national embarrassment. Sidney Powell accusing Governor Brian Kemp of a crime on television, yet being unwilling to go on TV um, and defend and lay out the evidence that she supposedly has. Um, this is outrageous conduct by any lawyer. And notice, George, they won't do it inside the courtroom. They allege fraud outside the courtroom, but when they go inside the courtroom, they don't plead fraud and they don't argue fraud. This is what I was concerned about at 2.30 in the morning on Wednesday night. Listen, I've been a supporter of the president's. I voted for him twice. But elections have consequences. So there it is, Chris Christie, who, as you remember, in 2016, uh, may have been the most important endorsement that, 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 uh, that Donald Trump re- received, uh, certainly one of them, uh, supported his campaign, prepared him for his debates, stood by him uh, through thick and thin. Very simple answer. Is it time to pack it in? Yes. May have gotten COVID from him, by the way, yeah. by the way. <laughs> hospitalized for it. Uh, look, I, I, it's, this has been a strange story to cover these last couple of weeks, John, because uh, we've been saying over and over again that the conversations we have privately with Republicans, including very powerful Republicans, is just much different than the public stance. The public stance, by and large, continues to be let the president play out his legal options. We don't know for sure. Uh, there, this election is not done yet. Uh, you have that from elected official after elected official. The occasional break, notwithstanding, Senator Pat Toomey, the latest on this in Pennsylvania, saying you know, President-elect Biden. But it's obvious to all of them privately, almost to a person, to the ones I've talked to anyway, no one is willing to say that this election is in true doubt. No one is willing to go uh, privately, where they're where they're being forced to go, or they feel like they're forced to go publicly, and it is chasing you know increasingly bizarre conspiracy theories that the president uh, and his legal team have 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 kept them entertaining. Not because they're smart people, not because they they're thinking people, not because they're 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 seeing some legal principle here. There is no evidence. There has never been any evidence of anything that would turn this election around. And now you have a president who's just advocating that state lawmakers disregard election results entirely in the state. I mean, if you do that, John, what's the point of even having presidential elections in the future? I mean, can you imagine the the audacity of that? Is you're 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 asking <laughs> you're and, and 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 this is this is explicit on the part of the of the of the president's legal team and the president himself even um uh you know over, over the weekend tweeting uh that uh i mean here's what he said he said he, he's outraged that joe biden is moving ahead and forming a cabinet um hopefully the courts and or legislatures will have the courage to do what has to be done to maintain the integrity of our elections i mean he's explicitly saying that he wants state legislatures to undo the votes disregard the votes of millions of Americans. I mean, it's really, I mean, it's, it's, it's really something else. And, uh, you know, you saw over the weekend also the last real legal challenge in Pennsylvania goes down um, 
you know, from a, um, a judge who was a member of the Federalist Society, a conservative judge. I saw some people d- uh, dismissing him as an Obama appointee. Yeah, he was appointed by Obama because Pat Toomey, the Republican senator, uh, you know, they, they have a blue, they have a process they call blue slips where they, you have to get your local, you know, your, 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 uh, your senator to sign off. Before nominations could go through, so so this was this was Pat Toomey's pick. This wasn't this wasn't Barack Obama's pick. Um, conservative jurist who just, in a blistering opinion, mocked the president's legal team and basically said, "I mean, I'll sum it up. How dare you? How dare you make these unbelievable allegations and ask to overturn the votes of seven plus million people?" without any compelling evidence to back up your case. How dare you? It's a very strange moment. And I, I think after the election aftermath, John, you know, you, you and I were there for days um, watching these results come in, analyzing the results. It was clear from early going that, uh, that Joe Biden would have it won. But I, I thought, you know, week, two weeks, we're going to come up now to Thanksgiving with the president uh, and, and still most of his party uh, ignoring the the obvious, the fact here, and you know they could play it out a little bit longer, maybe you know a couple, a few more weeks before the before the the electoral college convenes and, and formalizes things. But it's been it's been quite a journey, and and I I thought by now at least you'd have maybe more Republicans coming out and saying, look, this just isn't happening because there has been no evidence, and that's the thing is that they've had opportunities, they've had the chances, they've they've, they've got the the, the opportunities to present what they have, and they just have not presented it, period. All right, Rick, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, let's talk with a Republican member of Congress who knows more about Bigfoot, we're talking Sasquatch here, than anybody that we have ever spoken to, perhaps more than anybody alive. So, Rick, when we come back, we are going to make the connection, try to draw the line from the search for Sasquatch to the search for widespread voter fraud. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to Powerhouse Politics. Joining us now is Representative Denver Riggleman. He is the congressman from Virginia's 5th District and the author of a new book, Bigfoot, It's Complicated, which looks at the roots and potentially dangerous results of extreme belief systems through the lens of Bigfoot believer communities around the country. So here we are, Congressman Thank you for joining us. I, I want to say right from the start that you are one of the precious few Republicans who have uh, called from the very beginning of, you know, once it became clear who won this election, that the results are what they are and that the president should do the right thing, should concede, should begin the transition and all of that. So my question to you before we get into Bigfoot and all of that, <laughs> you, you, you are not coming back to Congress. Um, I want to know why is it that some of the but 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 you, you've been there. You spent two years as a member of the Republican conference uh, in the House of Representatives. Why is it that the strongest voices that we have heard uh, coming out, demanding or calling on the president to do the right thing, have the strongest Republican voices are either people that are leaving Congress or who have already left Congress? Yeah, I think it's fear and. You know, um, you know how I got here. I don't know if you know, John, or, or and I think Rick does also, is that, you know, I was a little bit outspoken to begin with based on the fact I didn't have a political background. I was an intelligence officer. I had my own company doing counterterrorism and counterintelligence. 
obviously our family makes whiskey, so I have that going for me too. But I wasn't really into any type of politics or anything like that until I was elected to Congress. And, you know, I look at somebody like Adam Kinzinger, who is, you know, a strong, incredible voice who was reelected. And uh, me and him, even from the beginning, I think months ago, I'll tell both of you is that we came out pretty hard against QAnon, I I think before it was cool. And you would think that everybody would think it was something we need to do. But right now with the incredible conspiracy theories that we're seeing and what just happened with Sidney Powell and Rudy Giuliani and some of the things we're seeing, I almost find it that it would help you as a Republican in some respects based on integrity, uh, based on policy, to say something's ridiculous when it obviously is. But right now, I think it's fear of the electorate and the base and maybe those few points that could cost them a primary, not get them reelected, or maybe somebody's going to say something mean about them on Twitter. So, so you you came out and talked about QAnon and and the the and, and now I mean we we, we you're, we're going to basically have a Republican QAnon caucus <laughs> in this in this yes, incoming yeah. Congress. I mean, it's really something else. It's stunning. Um, it's stunning. But I mean, are you? It's one thing to have a few people out there on the fringes, and you know, but here you have the president's lawyers representing the president of the United States. At a press conference held at the Republican National Committee's national headquarters in Washington, D.C., uh, outline a conspiracy theory that sounds like it's straight out of QAnon. Uh, you know, the bringing together Hugo Chavez and the Clintons and George Soros and, you know, voting machines flipping millions of votes and uh, God knows what else. I mean, did you see, did you see that coming? No. Representing the president of the United States, I, you know, I saw this at the beginning, and I think that's why, uh, and I, I think that's why I came out so early about we need to, you know, respect the results of the vote and the voters themselves, because immediately, as you guys know, both of you know, it was insane that we have some kind of voter manipulation using embedded code from the National Security Agency or and or Dominion and Smartmatic had code embedded to automatically switch votes based on the flip of a switch, or that we had people, you know, harvesting massive mounds of mail-in ballots, right, with no signatures. You know, people were obviously, in all 50 states, millions of votes, you know, had to be faked. And if you put that all together, you talked about Venezuela, you talk about, you know, uh, the Clintons, uh, you talk about the use of the word Kraken, and I would humbly submit to both of you, if we never use the word Kraken or Venezuela again, as far as a slogan in the Republican Party, I think that would serve us very well because what's going to happen in the next two weeks, I'm going to tell you, there's going to be a complete dissolution of this theory. It is going to fragment. But my worry is, is that fragmentation of that theory is just going to cause more factionalization in some of these social media platforms like Parler or Gab or BitChute. And now you're going to have a radicalization movement in some of these areas. And, and by the way, I love the First Amendment. However, let's be honest, you know, a lot of these... A lot of these platforms are opening up because we have issues with Twitter and Facebook, you know, censoring some of the crazier parts of this, and they don't want that. And the thing is, you can you can monetize insanity pretty quickly on some of these platforms. So, so Congressman, your background, as you said, in, in intelligence. So, c- connect some dots for us. Sure. You've seen it up close. You've you've explored conspiracy theories and conspiracy theory movements. What is behind this? What is really going on? Is it is it kind of its own? Is there a conspiracy behind the conspiracy theory world? What what is driving <laughs> this moment in your mind? I think a lot of it. I think there's a couple things that happened and. You know, I can go back to, you can look at radicalization theory, you can look at the use of language to radicalize people, the use of memes, 
Uh, and what you're seeing is really, I would say, a contagion of memes and disinformation based on people being afraid. Uh, I think once you had COVID hit back in March, we saw a spike uh, analytically in the number of people that were mentioning QAnon or using those hashtags. And when I talk about a spike, I'm not talking about a 5 or 10% uh, 10 spike, but a huge spike. And once Michael Flynn took the oath, I believe it was back in July, where at the end of his oath to the Constitution, he did do where we go, one we go all. Once you saw that there was another massive spike, and I think it was the uncertainty of COVID, I think that there's always been this baseline sort of anti-Semitic um, sort of nationalist meme or conspiracy theories that have been bubbling, you know, well before Comet Pizza, guys. Let's be honest. I mean, it was well before Comet Pizza. But we saw this explosion after Comet Pizza, and then we saw this sort of insidious movement to legitimize insanity. And it, and it, and it sort of worked. Uh, and, and then when you see public officials retweeting or talking about this, whether it's, you know, and, and, and by the way, and I'm not trying to, to get too off track or distracting, if you think about the baseline of this, sort of the protocols of the elders of Zion, blood libel, uh, when you're talking about Democrats who are in pedophile rings, when you, when you talk about Osama bin Laden having a body double, when you're talking about Joe Biden killing SEAL Team 6, it's this dehumanizing way of looking at opponents to make sense of your life. And now I would, I would submit we have millions of people who are either complete adherents or partial adherents to theories started by QAnon. And QAnon's a sticky bomb. Everywhere it hits, it sticks to you and it sort of infects you. And that's what I've been trying to warn people about is that we can't have memeing or this type of coded language or people saying they're digital prophets starting to run the gamut on people's sanity. And, and that's why I've been so out front on this. And I know that I've become like the fact pariah of the Republican Party right now. Um, and I saw the same thing when I studied Bigfoot, guys. I saw the same sort of memeing of belief systems that were so insane and based on things you couldn't prove. But it's that non-provability that gives you an insight into the heavens that nobody else has. And that's what we're fighting. Well, and that, that I think is a critical point. It's the point you make in, in your book that, that you can't really argue with conspiracy theories. You can't bring reason, rationality to it once it's, once it's kind of taken hold. Where, where do you see things going in the Republican Party? I think, I think we all agree that Donald Trump will not be president January 20th, but, but this movement obviously isn't going anywhere. Uh, and and you, no. you're, you've, been, you've been documenting or the possibility of a kind of a, a fundraising uh, infrastructure around it designed to, to feed off. But where do, you, where do you see it going? You, you, you know these people well as colleagues, the people that will continue to serve in the next Congress uh, that, that may aspire to be president in, in, future, in future cycles. Where does this movement go in, and how does the Republican Party handle it? Yeah, and you know, you, you, you talk about the election and, I, and you just said something a little bit brilliant there and, and I'm not trying to blow smoke, but you know, it's the fact of caucusing or, or is there a QAnon caucus, where does that go? And we had a lot of people win that do believe in some of these tenants. So, you know, what's crazy about this, let's talk about crazy, is that it's crazy that some people thought that the Democratic candidate was crazier than the person running, you know, who said that, you know, 9-11 actually didn't happen or the government was behind it, right? I mean, that's all part of this. Um, but I think where we see it going to go is you're going to see a massive fundraising effort uh, and massive factionalization based on who's who in the zoo when it comes to the Republican Party. You're going to have people like the Adam Pinzingers, uh, things like that, people like the Guy Reschenthalers, you got people that are more, uh, I would say, in swinger, swinger districts, more or less, so to speak, uh, that are going to be able to come out against this pretty strong. But I'm going to give a warning right now. If the, I, I gave this warning to, to uh, Democrats here in Virginia, who I, I'm actually friends with, like Abigail Spanberger. 
defund the police is a very bad thing. Um, you know, as far as what normal Americans think of when they hear a slogan like that, it's going to be very awful for the Republican Party if all of a sudden it becomes some kind of conspiracy theory party uh, in some of these districts, especially suburban districts. And I think you're going to see places like Parlor, Bitchute, Gab, Rumble. I think you're going to see more of a radicalization there, but more of a monetization of some of these incredible and insane ideas. And that really frightens me, guys. It really frightens me. I, I can't imagine that anybody would grab onto any of these theories in any type of way. And just like that press conference with Sidney Powell that the GOP had, that has to be refuted on a level that's just completely sincere and unequivocal. This is crazy. This is nuts. We got to nip it in the bud right now. And I just don't see that happening in the next two years, honestly. I mean, one, one of the moments that stuck out to me during the campaign was, which, which I, I think really ended up hurting Democrats, uh, was, was that moment in Minneapolis when the mayor uh, went out before the crowd protesting um, and uh, the, the, you know, the, was asked by a protester with a bullhorn, um, you know, are you in favor of abolishing the police department? And he tried to give a you know, politician's answer. We, we need reform. We need to move funding away from this, that, and the other thing. But no, but are you for abolishing the police department? He finally you know, said, no, uh, I, I'm not in favor of abolishing the <laughs> right. Minneapolis police department. And this was, and he was, and, and then he did the walk of shame. They were like, they booed him and and and, yes. and ran him out of ran him out of town, basically, because well, he was unwilling to say he wanted to immediately abolish the police department in Minneapolis. Well, the fringes of the parties are dictating policy, it seems. You know, but but I but I want to ask you uh, on on the conspiracy front. I mean, I think Rick Rick raised a good point: is that you cannot actually uh, argue with a conspiracy. Theorist, you cannot actually present no. the facts. I, I was before we, Rick and I were talking earlier about um, uh, what one when, when Tucker Carlson came out and basically said that uh, Sidney Powell is not giving any evidence and 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 she had gotten angry with him for asking for it and and exposed all of that. Tucker Carlson, of all people. Um, uh, Rush Limbaugh's producer uh, responded to him. Um, by saying, uh, m- m- making a few points, and one of the points stuck out to me. Uh, this is Rush Limbaugh's producer. Where is the evidence that this election was fair? Oh my goodness! <laughs> Where is the evidence? I mean, I mean, you just can't. I mean, what oh are you my gosh! Do? So, so <laughs> <laughs> you just made me laugh. Sorry. Which, which I, which I imagine is, is, is what fuels some of the, of, of the, of the belief that you, you track the, these kind of Bigfoot believing communities. You know, where uh, can you prove that Bigfoot doesn't exist? Um, That's what I had to do. And what you said about proving if it's fair or proving that Bigfoot doesn't exist, that's very, very difficult. And I'm I'm understating this. I had an individual was talking, found out I worked for the National Security Agency and thought I was a spy. He thought that I was there making lists mm -hmm. of the people there so that they could be sort of, you know, now we we call it shadow banned. This is back in 2004. They thought we we would mess with their bank accounts. Think about that. Now I'm sitting at a bonfire. Arguing with a lady who's saying that Bigfoot has gluten allergies and can't eat peanut butter and jellies. I got it, you know, and I got another one who says they're an amateur scatologist. I mean, who would do that, by the way? I mean, I don't know if that's, if I have a hobby, it's probably going to be fishing, not being a scatologist. Um, so I'm, I'm <laughs> you know, I'm arguing with these people. But this one individual is like, you're a spy. And I know that you have the clearance level to look at um, Bigfoot photos. And I think you have one somewhere in a basement somewhere in Area 51. 
And I said, well, and I explained to him how the security system worked and the intelligence uh, clearance issues work. I said, it would be impossible for me to know. I said, but obviously I've been read into 400 special access programs. I've never heard of Bigfoot in the National Security Agency or Air Force Intelligence or the Office of Secretary of Defense. My guess is it doesn't exist, but I can't 100% tell you that there's not like an analytical Sasquatch studies intelligence, you know, an ascent out there, you know, that, that we're looking at. And he goes, you just proved to me it's true. I, there, there's, it's, yeah. That's very difficult. And when conspiracy theorists do that, when you have that kind of baseline where everything is based on something unprovable, but you know it's true, you're doing it with faith, you now have entered into a cult you have entered into, a, you're, you're in a conversation with somebody who believes in a cult-like way. And that's what I worry about is the weaponization of cults or ideas or myth because you think it's true by dehumanizing others. And that is incredibly dangerous. What, what prevents thinking politicians from, uh, from just saying no to this? Is it, you mentioned fear of Trump, fear of the base at some, at some level, but is this, is this all really about money at the end of the day? Is this about no. about trying to raise money off of or, or re recognize that you have a powerful political force that can perpetuate political action committees, perpetuate uh, fundraising for campaigns for the foreseeable future because it is that powerful? Yes, I, I know the money is that powerful. And But I'll tell you this, this red team, this, I think that's what you're asking. I love that question. I think there's three things here. Uh, if I were to red team it, there's three things I would look at as an individual that believes this. Number one, they're ignorant of it. At this point, after all this time, they're still ignorant of it. Number two, they don't believe it, but they're pandering to people to actually get elected, to fundraise, or to stay in the know with certain people that they believe are in power. Or number three, they actually believe it. And I, all three of those, to me, uh, all three of those disqualify you to be a candidate or somebody who serves this great country. If you're ignorant of the very things that are being used to dehumanize, whether it's anti-Semitic behavior, uh, white supremacy, if you're ignorant of that, you shouldn't be in office. If you are pandering to it, you shouldn't be in office. If you believe it, you definitely shouldn't be in office. And out of all three, I would say that number two is the worst, gentlemen. I would say number two is the worst to me when it comes to people that are running for office. I don't know if that was the answer you were looking for, but I'm sorry. That, that's <laughs> I tell you, I, I'm so uh, enthralled with this ridiculousness right now. I never thought I would see this on this level in the United States of America. So sorry if I'm a little blunt. Um, I just I just find it. We like I that. just find it. I find it incredible. And no, 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 no. We 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 actually we actually like that. Okay, okay. And I'm 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 sorry that I, I got a little. It wasn't anger, but it certainly is disgust uh, at what I'm seeing right now. I mean, it is it is mind blowing. I mean, there's there's just no question about it. And and yet the other thing that's mind blowing is the reluctance of 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 leaders who know better not calling it out. So 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 the my, my, the last thing I wanted to get your take on is somebody who has spent two years uh, embedded in the Republican <laughs> conference, part <laughs> yes. of the Republican conference. There's great people there, but there's some crazy too. <laughs> witness for witness very close on. Uh, very, very closely, uh, you have Kevin McCarthy, who who is the leader. Um, he knows what's going on. He knows what's crazy and what's not. Uh, but 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 he's also held his punches. Um, and and I, I mean, I, what, what, what's your assessment of, of where of where of where McCarthy goes on this? What forces he's dealing with? I, I, I've seen you know Liz Cheney. Uh, who is in leadership as well, come out much more directly and calling on 
you know, calling crazy crazy, and also you know suggesting that uh, that 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 there should be things like intelligence uh, briefings for the for the president elect. Um, I mean, where, where, where do you, how does that dynamic play out? What, 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 where is the Republican leadership going to go on this? Are they still going to be enthralled to all of this? Uh, you know, once Donald Trump is no longer in the White House. Yeah, I think um, I think they have to be on some levels, right? I mean, um, and that's what scares me is that you shouldn't have to be. And and I, I will tell you a quick. Um, so not only was I Air Force Intelligence, worked for NSA, I also had a very incredible job, danger filled. I was a bouncer, right? <laughs> I was a bouncer at a bar. And I feel like I feel like I started this fight four months ago. Um, my arm hurts, right? Somebody hit me in the arm. My knee doesn't work very well. There's blood coming out of the top of my head where somebody hit me with a bottle. Somebody hit me with a chair over the side. And I'm sitting there going, you know, trying to fight. And there's people laying around me. I'm almost passed out, but I barely got through it. And then, all, and then I see all these people, you know, and God bless them, you know, Mitt and Ben Sassy, Liz Cheney, uh, Fred Upton. Everybody's running out of the corner now going, hey, we're here to help. Well, I could have used that about four months ago, right? I, you know, I've just been getting my head bashed in over here, um, and Adam Kinzinger and I, you know, trying to say this is crazy. And, you know, it's two military blokes, right? Adam and I are both Air Force. He's a lieutenant colonel that flies. Yeah. I was Air Force Intelligence, right? And uh, now everybody's coming out of, the, out of the shadows, I think, at the bar fight because it looks a little bit safer. Um, all that's because of votes. It's because you've got to... You got to be friends with everybody. There's only two teams, guys. There's only Republicans and Democrats, and if you're not part of that tribe, you're going to be screwed, right? And that's what you're seeing right now. Is McCarthy has to keep together this conference that has a mix of sane, brilliant, crazy, and dumb. Um, but the but if you're going to pander to this kind of stuff, it will eventually bite you in the rear parts. And I've been warning about this. I feel like the facts pariah of the Republican Party. I feel like I've been in a bar fight where some people are finally coming out of the corners to help us out, uh, and I and I and I appreciate it. I'm glad people are putting out statements, but my lord, where was everybody on this QAnon mad- madness? You know, even two months ago, even three months ago, and you know, Kevin, I like Kevin, I do. He's a good person, but he was against Marjorie Taylor Greene at the beginning. I don't know if you all remember that. So was Steve Scalise. Uh, they said this was nuts. All of a sudden, it's give them a chance. My gosh, have you? I don't know if you guys have been following some of these individuals in Congress, but you know they tweet like it's a job and it's incoherent. That is that will bring down the Republican Party faster than anything. We have got to get back to policies and ideas, and I believe a lot of it comes to the fact that this is their job, this is all they've known, this is a career, and it's really sometimes. And I'm not trying to. It's really putting politics over people, and, and I think once you put party or politics over people, I think you're in real trouble. Well, just just to follow up on that, Marjorie Taylor Greene—that's that's a perfect example because she is true QAnon. Mm-hmm. How's how does McCarthy supposed to deal with her? How do you? She, she's duly elected member of Congress. They're going to seat her in a committee. I, how do you, how does he how does he deal with her? I, I think they should have dealt with it long ago. And okay. you know, and what and what happens? You need to bring him into. I, I think you bring her into an office and you shut the door and. You know, in the military, you know, it was a, you know, a strong counseling, right? I'll put that in quotes. But I think it's, you need to, you need to absolutely refute anything about these conspiracy theories because eventually the, the, the overwhelming portion of this, guys, is that it is always based in this sort of anti-Semitic white supremacy type of behavior. It's just that simple. It, and people are like, oh, no, Denver, you know, Joe Biden killing SEAL, SEAL Team 6 isn't about that. I said, no, but, you know, the, the lady who brought it out said we should hang Joe Biden. Maybe that's... 
maybe we should probably, you know, backpedal on that a little bit, huh? Maybe you should look at where it comes from. This is already out of the bag. And, and, I, and I think the press has a responsibility here, and I think you guys are doing it, is that it, it's, where does this come from? It's just not, it's not just, you know, you know, people eating, a, you know, babies and making adrenochrome. I think it's also about the fact that where this come from, where this comes from is going to come out. And when it does, I think people are going to look at people who believe in this and like, where did you come from and how did you think this was right or correct? And she needs to come out against it now. And everybody that's even part of QAnon has to come out strong and say, this is ridiculous. All right. Denver Riggleman, congressman, outgoing congressman from Denver's fifth district. And also, <laughs> I mean, most importantly, and you alluded to this, and I should have put this in, in, in the uh, uh, in the intro, the, the co-owner of the Silverback Distillery uh, makers of award-winning whiskey. If we were not in the middle of a pandemic, this, trust me, this podcast would have been done in person over, <laughs> you know, a couple glasses of, uh, of, of silverback. So, uh, you know, we, I, we, we, we look forward to trying the whiskey with you at some point, hopefully soon. We could call it Bigfoot bourbon and bonkers, you know, about, uh, you know, conspiracy. You know, <laughs> and, uh, there you go. You know, there and you I go. think, guys, if you ever listen, this is one of the most fun I have is talking about, you know, radicalization, conspiracy theories. I've done counterintelligence and counterterrorism for so long, two decades. And uh, even when you talk about NSA, I worked there for so long. That's why I found it so ridiculous. So whenever you guys want to talk about the technical aspects of the crazy, and I don't think people are as excited about that. They want sound bites. But if you want to talk about the technical issues with social media and social contagion, I'm happy to do it. All right. Thank you very much. Congressman Riggleman, we appreciate your time. Gentlemen, I appreciate you. Thanks for the honor. All right. And that is all the time we have for Powerhouse Politics. We wish everybody the happiest of Thanksgivings. And we will be back next week. Thank you to Avery Miller, Trevor Hastings, and our entire Powerhouse Politics team.